shafts of light upon the earth All then seems of noble birth Shafts of light upon the earth All then seems of noble birth Kindness then appears divine also Brahmachari Jatendra giving the inspirational talk. If you're just tuning in right now, um, I encourage you to, uh, in afterwards, to go back and listen to the song the choir, uh, well, Bhagavati and Ramesha sang this morning. It's not one we get to hear very often and absolutely exquisite from Kriyananda's Peace Treaty. Um, just so very beautiful and full of deep teaching. So I'd like to begin now with uh, Rays of the One Light, and these are weekly um, passages from the Bible and the Gita, uh, commentary written by Swami Kriyananda. And this week is entitled, Truth Invites, It Never Commands. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Free will is a basic principle of life. God never coerces. He invites us to live in such a way that we will find fulfillment in ourselves. If we refuse to live rightly, Paramahansa Yogananda taught, God simply says, I will wait. We have eternity to live. In that eternity, we live as we choose. In self-created darkness, a darkness as intense and as long-lasting as we choose, or in the infinite light, the true self, which is God. Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes offered a beautiful example of God's way of inviting mankind to seek perfection not by commanding, but by offering his human children the incentive they need to choose the right of their own volition. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In each of the Beatitudes, Jesus explains the blessing attendant upon observing it. The divine way similarly for each of us is not to do violence to our own natures. Spirituality must be attained naturally. It can never be attained by force. The Bhagavad Gita says in the third chapter, even the wise behave in accordance with nature as it is manifested in them. Of what avail then is suppression? The scripture then goes on, however, to explain that this doesn't mean we should surrender to the dictates of our lower nature. Rather, it emphasizes our need to aspire to the heights. But each of us, in accordance with his own nature and not in imitation of anyone else's, offering ourselves up for purification by divine grace. Desire whatever form it takes, so the Bhagavad Gita explains, should be resisted even if only mentally. Attachment and repulsion to sense objects, both of these are universally rooted. No one should accept their influence, for verily, they are man's enemies. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. to begin with reading from Whispers from Eternity, Prayer Poems and Demands, written by Paramahansa Yogananda. And we have many favorites. As you read this book, you begin to gather many favorites in this book, but this is perhaps one of my very favorites. <laughs> Divine Mother, come thyself into the waiting temple of our love. Divine Mother, be thou the only flame shining on the altar of our hearts. Burn away any darkness that lurks there. Divine Mother, be thou the only fragrance raising, rising with the incense of our love for thee. Permeate any dark nook in the hearts also of those we love. In our tears of love for thee, wash away what attraction we feel for material objects. In our tears of communion with thee, wash away all the sorrows of earth forevermore. Divine Mother, unite our separate hearts into one great love, wherein thy omnipresence can rest forever and forever. 
teach us to behold our latent perfection in the clear mirror of thy divinity. Let the altar flame of our love for thee rise in triumph, shaming the little hissing sparks of all earthly desires. O Divine Mother, may our love be a shooting star racing gloriously through dark skies of forgetfulness, cutting its ways through dark thunder clouds of worldly preoccupation. Divine Mother, a million distractions have come to lure us away from thoughts of thee. Though thyself, in order to test us, has offered false substitute fulfillments, pompous temple ceremonies to satisfy the ego needs of worldly people, religious organizations shouting, salvation can come only through serving this work, priests and ministers offering the gospel, God will bless you if you give us money. O oh, mother, I have done with such outward shows in thy name. I await thee now in the inner temple of my love. Steal softly into this silent temple, mother. With labent flame, banish the darkness of my long ignorance and grant me safety in thy ever-shining bliss. And so as we celebrated Swami Kriyananda's discipleship anniversary this week, forget we'd continue that celebration a little today. Swami Kriyananda, in many of his lectures, he would often tell a story. And in fact, for the only the few years that I had the opportunity to be with him, I heard perhaps this story uh, be told many, many, many times. And I know for all of you who spent many, many years with him, perhaps you've heard this story hundreds, thousands of times. <laughs> and it's the story that he tells of the circumstances in his life that led to the moment that he found himself with his guru. And I was reflecting this week a little bit of why did Swami tell that story so much? In fact, he wouldn't just tell that story to new people. He would tell this story to everyone who perhaps heard it thousands of times. And even myself with Swami, I would reflect and think, Swami, I've heard you tell this story so many times. I, I know what's going to happen at the end of the story. And, but I, you know, of course, tuning into his bliss, everything was okay. But uh, I was really reflecting on that this week of why he told that story so many times. In fact, every lecture he would tell that story. And, it, and I felt a little bit of clarity come from Swami, perhaps, that the reason why he told that story so many times to us all is because he was showing us what we can do and how we should react when we get that divine invitation. Swamiji didn't think twice. His heart, his soul, his mind, his whole life, immediately he gave it to that call. He got on a bus as soon as he finished reading the autobiography of a yogi. He got on a bus and traveled across the country three days and then, of course, he then arrived to the source of that call, his guru's love. And as I continue to reflect on this, I think another part of why Swamiji really wanted us to understand this story is that there were a couple of prerequisites in place for Swami to have that ability to respond to that divine invitation. In fact, we also hear Swami very often say how so much he was desperate for truth. And this is, for all of us, 
when we get into that consciousness of becoming desperate for truth, desperate for God's love, then we then can stand ready and open to then give ourselves in the appropriate manner when we are given that opportunity. But also there was the past efforts that Swamiji had practiced listening and feeling for that divine call and then practicing letting go and allowing that grace to flow through his life guiding him toward ever greater consciousness. Each week, Swamiji has given us so many things, and one of the things, of course, this Sunday service. And each week we read in Rays of the One Light, uh, truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The key term in here is realize that all of our teachings are helping to guide us to understand that in this process of realization, we play a cooperative role in this. And this attunement, this awakening of this divine memory, this divine invitation that is always in our hearts, always in our souls, trying to guide us to the next uh, step in our, our awakening, we have that invitation. And we have to put forth the right effort. We have to attune our will to that, to that call so that we can then follow in the appropriate manner. So we receive a lot of divine invitations in every moment, but we also receive many, many other invitations. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, I, my mailbox gets bombarded by this invitation from this fellow. His name is Maya. I don't know if you <laughs> know this person, but uh, I'm not sure what his, you know, what his deal is, but he, he just, you know, all of his invitations that he sends. I mean, he sure looks like he's trying to have a good time. And, but, but it's really this process for us. God is very clever. He has planted in our hearts the desire for happiness and that desire to avoid pain and suffering. And in this, really, the story begins to unfold that we have a choice in every moment that we can follow, attune our will to that divine call, or we can respond to Maya, and we can go to Maya's parties, and we can be entertained. But we're always going to feel, at the end of the day, that emptiness. Because as our guru, as many other spiritual paths have taught, that fulfillment can only be realized within. Master teaches us to seek a definite understanding of truth by our own experience. And one of our guru's first books that he wrote was The Science of Religion. And Yogananda said that just as science uh, works with um, systematized formulas, that if you combine one substance with another substance, it yields a certain result. And for us, and for every spiritual path, there is that formula. For us, on this path, of practicing Kriya Yoga, Yoganandaji <coughs> gave us a formula. Devotion plus Kriya work like mathematics. It cannot fail. So we've been given this formula to practice. And Yogananda said, if you follow the techniques that I give to you, if you follow this instruction, then you will awaken that divine understanding. But it's not unique to our path. All paths have this, um, this particular blueprint for all souls to follow to that divine awakening. And it's very nice that we see in this reading of Christ, 
uh, teachings, given, giving the Beatitudes. And just the same also we see with Patanjali, with the Yoga Sutras, with the Yamas and Niyamas. If you follow these formulas, then you begin to awaken that observance. You begin to uh, become that quality. There is a story that <clears throat> Paramahansa Yogananda, he came to the West, if you are not uh, fully aware of Yogananda's story. He came to the West and he established an ashram in Los Angeles. And so, of course, being in Los Angeles, especially even in the 20s and 30s, Hollywood was flourishing during that time. And so he attracted lots of movie stars and singers and all of this. And one of the souls that he attracted was Herb Jeffries. And he was a famous jazz musician. And he read the autobiography of a yogi. And he immediately went to uh, be with Yogananda. But you see, Herb, Herb really had a lot of problems with the shall nots of religion. And you know, he was really looking at, well, all I, I'm told every day is what I can't do. Well, what can, what can I do? Mm -hmm. So he figured he'd go ask this guy, Yogananda. So he came to Yoganandaji and he, he told his story of his, his trouble with uh, the shall nots. And so Yogananda said, I think I can help you. He said, let me, let me ask you a, a few questions. And so he asked Herb, he said, uh, do you eat meat? And Herb said, oh yes, yes. He said, okay, you can continue doing that. And then he asked, do you uh, go out and smoke and drink and go to parties? Oh, yes, yes, I very much like doing that, yes. Yogananda said, you may continue doing that. And he said, do you also chase women you know, at these parties? And, and he said, oh, yes, yes, I do. You can continue that. And Herb was just, he was shining. He thought, I found, I found gold here in this, this guru. I have found gold. And so, so he said, uh, you mean I can just continue on with my life as it is? Oh, yes, Master said, you can continue. But if you practice what I tell you to practice, I can guarantee you that you will lose interest in doing these other things. <coughs> this is, of course, a very extravagant example. But in our own lives, we all have this unfoldment. And in the... <coughs> Bhagavad Gita, in this reading, it, it asks us to disassociate ourselves with those things that are harmful to our consciousness, those things that are uh, going to keep us bound to ego consciousness. Rather, opening yourself and inviting those things that help us to grow and to listen and feel that divine call, that divine inspiration. And I was thinking one example of this, I think, is becoming ever more increasingly important, is when you choose to tune into the news. Because our consciousness as yogis become very, very delicate. And so when we open the door of our consciousness to anything in life, we open the door. And then we allow whatever that which we're tuning into to affect us. And so for us, who we are all servants of the light. We are all chan increasing channels for this grace, this power to enter the earth, this world, to help guide others. So be very, very cautious in which you uh, attune your consciousness to each day. There was, you know, we, of course, have this struggle that in each day in our life that we, we get pulled, our willpower gets pulled to Maya and it gets pulled to that divine call. 
and we try our best to follow the formula. But in many ways, we can get caught in trying to fix all the little things in our life to begin to reflect that divine inspiration, that divine call. But as our guru taught, and of course as Swamiji taught again and again, is that we must seek to change our consciousness. This is the, the primary focus of the yogi, is because when we change our consciousness, everything else changes. And we have resistance to that, but know that the more you do practice the techniques, then the more you do open to that possibility to begin to feel your own experience of what happens when you change your consciousness. Everything else changes. And there's a wonderful story that uh, Swamiji told as an example of this, where his friend uh, actually told Swamiji this story, where she had a, a two-year-old son. And the two-year-old son was, you know, he really liked, you know, still, I believe, sucking his thumb and doing all these things that, you know, babies do. And, uh, and so the mother said, you know, you're, stop doing that. You're not a baby anymore. And he looked up at his mother and said, but I like being a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and don't we all feel that way some days where, you know, we know we should sit to do Kriya, we should sit to meditate, practice yoga, you know, try to eat healthy, exercise, all of these things. But, you know, ego's there saying, you know, let's have a good time, you know? And we have to build that magnetism to begin to develop that, that desire, that desperate longing for truth where all that begins to fade away. When we change our consciousness, we begin to see more and more this divine invitation. And there's a beautiful story that exemplifies this where just recently, I was told that uh, Divine Mother spoke to Nayaswami um, Kirtani. And whenever tells me something, whenever someone tells me that, something like that, I, of course, want to hear what Divine Mother said. And so I was really um, excited that she was coming here last summer from Italy. She's one of the spiritual directors there. And so uh, I asked her, you know, could you tell me this story? And I think, believe, I believe some of you might have also heard this story uh, recently from Davy. But she tells a story where in the early days here at Ananda Village, she was working on the farm. Uh, and she was uh, turning the compost pile as a routine uh, duty. And it was you know midday, and she was turning the pile. And she turned the pile more toward the center, where she saw all a bunch of maggots. And it was horrible. I can't imagine. <laughs> So she thought to herself, how horrible this would be to be your home. How can you stand living like this? She was speaking to the maggots. <laughs> and, uh, and so she, you know, she finished up her job, and, and she was walking home for lunch. And you know, very much like today, such a beautiful day, fall, crisp air, sun shining. You know, everything was just so perfect, birds chirping in the, in the, in the trees. And she thought, oh, how beautiful is this? And then Divine Mother, she heard Divine Mother respond, how can you stand living like this? <laughs> and she thought, what do you mean? This is beautiful. But Divine Mother said, if you only knew what awaits you. And so for all of us, as we begin to expand our consciousness 
in trust, in to follow that divine, in, that divine call, we begin to see that, just as Master said, once you taste good cheese, you no longer want to eat stale cheese. So again and again, as we expand our consciousness, we can behold the, the shining light of God, which is much more beautiful than anything this world can give to you. And Master really beautifully gives to us a poem that one day as he sat uh, on his front lawn in the early morning, dew had arised on the grass, and he thought of this, this poem. <clears throat> um, a humble magnet call, a whisper by the brook, on grassy altar small, there I have my nook. He said, just with that little formation of dew on the grass, it reminded him of the beauty of God. He wasn't just focusing on the beauty of the dewdrop. He could see the vastness of God's love in that moment. And there his altar was to worship God and to see God's beauty. There's a game that <clears throat> perhaps some of you have practiced this. Um, many times corporate uh, institutions uh, have retreats and they sometimes practice this exercise. Of course, I know I think the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts might do, may do this. Um, it's a game really about trust. And this game is that a person gets partnered up with someone else, or there's a group there. And the, your role is to stand up on a high ledge, to turn around from the group or your partner, to cross your arms and close your eyes on the edge of something very high, and then to fall back. And your friend or the group catches you, and you have to trust. Now, this is frightening. If you've never done it, it's extremely frightening to do this. But for all of us, when we, I, I thought of this example because that feeling that you may have experienced if you've ever done this is when we get pushed to the edge of our comfort zone, when that divine invitation asks us to let go and to, to enter into that next stage of your life, to embrace that, that light of God, we have two things that happen. We can either choose to cling, which the ego clings to the familiar, the familiar warmth, that which is comfortable, or we can trust and let go. And trust that master is there. Master is there with both arms to catch you. So the more we can let go and trust that master loves you, he, he's there to always support you no matter what you're going through. And we're reminded of this every week in the festival that Swamiji gives to us, where we sing a song every week. And there were many years that went by where uh, I would sing the song, and it felt nice, but I didn't really understand what Swamiji was giving to us in this song, where we sing, long we fear to face your love, lest our emptiness it proves. Now at last our hearts we give you, who remain our friend. This is that fear, this is that, that part of us that holds back, that the biggest fear, the ego fears God's love. It fears that divine invitation because it illuminates perhaps that aspect of herself that's not yet perfect, that aspect that, um, you know, we, we begin to see those aspects are not in accordance with our higher self. Swamiji... Uh, Swamiji gives to us uh, 
in a really beautiful example of this, when we open ourselves and we can trust that God's love, that light, that divine invitation, that it's only, only going to lead us to deeper realization of how much God loves us and how beautiful all of life is. Swamiji wrote a book called The Land of Golden Sunshine. And this is one of my favorite books. And in here, just a very brief overview is there's a, a girl, Lisa, who the sun man comes to her in the symbolically God, God's love, the light of God, that divine invitation. And Lisa is invited to leave her factory town, all that familiar comfort zone of the ego, to come into the light, to come to God. And her struggle and is outlined in this book. I won't tell you the ending, so you can read it. <clears throat> but I wanted to read just one paragraph that Swami wrote in this book that's really beautiful and really reflects today's topic and, and Swamiji's blessing here. <clears throat> so this is the Sun Man speaking to Lisa. It was your yearning for pure happiness, for crystal love, that drew me to your sad, misty world your tears could be seen through the night, piercing the dark veil of your own forgetfulness. They rained like dew upon mountainsides in glistening showers of light. Tell me, he continued gravely, how deep is your longing? Would you leave behind now forever the prison of lost hopes, your lonely city? Would you exchange your life here for the shining freedom of my world, his world? Joy in exchange for sorrow, gold for dust. Her heart cried out with hope. And so we have this divine invitation always. In every moment, God, Divine Mother, is always asking us to rise, to change our consciousness, to behold that we are a part of all that is. And I wanted to close with a, a, a superconscious dream that I had of master. And this dream, I was <clears throat> at a location that looked very similar to Mount Washington. And uh, one of the other devotees came up to my room and said that master wants to see you. And my immediate response was a little bit of trepidation, like, uh-oh, did I do something wrong? <laughs> and so, of course, I went to find where master was, and he said he was out in the front. And so I was walking through this field, uh, the front lawn, and I could see in the distance there was this big garden. And as I got closer to the garden, I saw that Master had his, his, uh, his sleeves rolled up, his, his pants rolled up, his hair, as we all know, Master's hair, just, you know, big frizzy hair blowing in the wind, and he had his head down, and he was digging with so much energy, so much effort in the garden. And I, my first res response when I saw him was, oh my gosh, he's working so hard. And as I got closer to Master, he was just you know, digging in the dirt, and you know, he was sweating. And, and I, uh, I said, you know, hi, Master, you called me? And he, he looked up at me, and he said, yes, yes. He said, uh, he, looked, he looked around the garden, and he said, I have an invitation for you. Can you do something for me? And at first I thought, before I say yes, I should, you know, <laughs> get, get clear here. And so I took a moment to think, okay, yes, yes, sir, I can, yes, what is it? And he said, can I ask of you 
every morning and every evening for you to come here and water the garden every morning and evening. Can you do that? And I said, yes, sir. Yes, I can do that. And he said, good. And he went right back down <laughs> into the garden, you know, working really hard. And so I kind of just backed up like, okay, you know, home guru. And, uh, and then I woke up. And I felt master at that moment that I woke up, that it was the invitation for us all, that the guru, divine mother, God, asks of us to water our garden, our consciousness, every morning and evening with meditation, with sadhana. And if you can't find water in the form of meditation, find some other form of nutrient, satsang, pray for others, live in serving others and feel you're serving God, all of these things. This is what the Guru asks of us. And if we follow that formula that the Guru has given to us, we then can feel in our hearts that invitation which is the freedom in God. I wanted to close now with giving the last word to Swamiji. And as he gave this gift of Land of Golden Sunshine, he wrote this very brief couple of paragraph uh, letter. So we'll close with Swamiji's words here. And he was speaking of this, this, this book and today's topic. The mood of this poem expresses my lifelong desire to leave forever this limited earth existence. With advancing years, however, I find that my disillusionment with earth is actually dis diminishing being replaced by a desire simply to be wherever God wants me and to do whatever he wants of me. From early childhood, I've always felt that heaven was my true home. More and more, however, I'm coming to realize that this world is, for one who wholeheartedly embraces God's will, no less heaven than anywhere else. Praise and calmness, praise and blame, success and failure, love and hatred, all these come to us as divine blessings. God alone matters. All else is a dream. May you find in him that land of golden sunshine, your soul and every soul most deeply desires in divine love and friendship, Swamiji. May God bless you all. <laughs>